This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Working Class Bowhunter podcast starts in 3, 2, 1. I think I left about 4 No one honestly really cares. Steve's calling me while I'm holding <laughs> getting ready for this deer to stand up. So. Glad you took this deer out. He doesn't even drive American. <laughs> See, that deer's what's exactly what's wrong with this country, right? He doesn't even support local American-made deer-compatible vehicles. <laughs> that one that one arrow cost me $33,000. Just aiming too long and just moved a little bit and it's like oh no it fired you know crap i knew as soon as it left it was just a little high but he came right out in the field made a scrape right in the cornfield started grunting walked 30 yards made another scrape you're listening to the working class bow hunter that's right this is the podcast for billy joe lunch bucket the working man just like me and you my name's travis t-bone turner from the bone collector thank you for tuning in Episode number 110 of the Working Class Bowhunter Podcast, right here in, that's not sunny right now, Sherrard, Illinois. We are at 1600 Bucks Lair Place, right here in the Buckatorium, my favorite place to be other than the woods. Well, actually, more action happens here for me. This is the Working Class Bowhunter Podcast. I am Steve, along with Kurt, Ross Biggers in the house, and Big Papa Dave. What's going on, fellas? All fellas. Not much is going on, Steve. Thanks for that glorious intro. Yeah, sorry, man. I'm 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 a little bit shaky. Uh, you know, we could witness the Cubs going in the World Series. It's uh, yeah, it depends on when you're listening to this. They may or may not. But um, man, it's it's the middle of hunting season, kind of. It's getting closer to the rut. I haven't checked Facebook, so I don't know if it's happening yet. Yeah, yep. I did see two uh, young. I saw a two-year-old chasing the doe around. So the rut's on. Yo, dude, rut's dude on. wait for that <laughs> stupid squirrel to show up. Anyway, you always see like the one guy is like, man, I saw I saw the eight-point chasing the doe today. It's like you know, it was a year and a half or like a two-year-old. Like, yeah, man, sounds like the rut's going on. Cool, man. All right, see you later. <laughs> but yeah, it is what it is. It's the uh, 
the youngins are maybe are seeking and not knowing what's going on. But uh, yeah, John Dudley talked about that a little bit. So you know, it could be the uh, um, if you listen to previous episode, could be the kickoff of things to come, or we might have just missed it. Who knows? Just even, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on in your farm, but uh, please let us know what's going on. Uh, we're on social media. Uh, check out our website, workingclassbowhunter.com. You can get links to our Instagram. Uh, Instagram Facebook, and Facebook are the Twitter. best places to go. Twitter, yeah. Yeah, it's what Twitter's yeah, falling it, off. It, it, it is what it is. But uh, when you're there, go ahead and check out some other links to some awesome, awesome people. We couldn't do this podcast without HHA Sports. Smith's Custom Meats and Deer Processing right there in beautiful Viola, Illinois, and Badlands Packs. Man, dude, Badlands is killing it. The pack, that uh, that monster pack, I, I keep telling you guys about it, and I don't think you guys are believing me because I haven't seen you guys saying, oh, Steve, I took your word for it and I bought it. It's killing it, man. I'm I'm so in love with that pack. I think I might buy an engagement ring. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, that uh, I, Ross is familiar with Badlands packs. Yep. Running a camera day bag, and then I just bought the Wrap 18. So I'm running two different ones, and I can't decide which one I want to run. Just but carry them both. Just carry them both. I, yeah. I need to get – I actually want to get a couple more. They're uh, – I love them. Durable. Warranty is, is there. So, I mean, you can't beat it. Um, I want to do our social media shot real quick before we get moving along here. Um, to uh, Joel T. Cook on Instagram. Um, shot his first buck in near Nashville, Tennessee. Um, message us saying that his neighbors are always like hooting and hollering and blaring music and trying to scare the deer off from them. They're probably a Hil- Hillary voter or something. Who knows? Um, you know, I kind of tried to keep his spirits up. Hey, man, keep after it. It'll happen. And it did happen. So congratulations to him. And uh, Nick McAdams, another shout out to yeah. that guy. Um, I saw that original post. I was like, man, I hope that dude kills a slob. Posted a picture and tagged us, uh, I don't know, Friday morning of the working class bowhunter sticker on his quiver. A few hours later, there's another picture up that he tagged us in. He's got a big drop time buck on the ground. Right on. So the luck of the podcast continues. And Papa Dave shot. Well, we finished the deal today on a nice eight point. Yep. And that was awesome. So that'll be uh, an upcoming podcast that will tell the whole story. It's actually a really cool story. Yeah. So do you think Jeff Lindsay believes us about the luck of the podcast now? <laughs> I'm hoping he does. And, and cutting your hair. <laughs> cutting no, your hair. Yeah, like, it's a superstitious thing. Ross, do you think you believe in that? Oh, I don't know. The He's podcast looking, thing, not the hair cutting thing. Yeah, he looked right at me. I cut my hair, and I didn't see nothing today. I cut my hair and trimmed my beard. You don't get superstitious and stuff like that? No, I don't. no not really. No. No. Steve, Steve, you're not supposed to do it while you're in the stand. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, not like leave, like not cut it while I'm on the way to the stand. You know, leave all that hair there. Uh, yeah, well, you gonna do a veteran shout out. Real I quick? am gonna do a veteran shout out, and this one actually is super cool. Um. Racks and Beards, uh, our good buddy Chris Rogers, let us know. He's got a buddy who's a vet, John Bruckhart. He's been in the Air Force for about 17 years now, so he's almost a Marine, and we're super happy for you. I'm just kidding, buddy. Um, <laughs> he's a bow hunter and also called in the largest turkey. Kill. Uh, so Racks and Beards says, and I'll read it for you, He all he's also a bow hunter and also called in the largest turkey I've ever killed for me a couple years ago. So the dude's always going above and beyond for his friends, family, and people he doesn't even know. So thank you for your service. And, uh, you know, we couldn't do this podcast without without all our vets, especially you. And we couldn't do this podcast in English without our vets. So 
Thank you so much, uh, all the vets, especially you, John Bruckhart. Thank you for your service. Now we're going to get ready to the – we're going to get ready. We're already ready. Now we're going to get rolling into the podcast. Right. So, Ross, we got some things to talk about here. Yep. Ross Bigger from Respect the Game TV and 164 Outdoors. Yep. You're and either addicted to our podcast or we're addicted to you. One or, or the other. Or a little bit of both. I keep coming back. It's good. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> um, you were out mule deer hunting a few weeks ago now, a couple weeks ago. Yep. Um, let's talk about it a little bit. All right. We, uh, me and my buddy Bill, we went out South Dakota and um, we were right around Rapid City. Bill, is he a Cubs fan? Yeah, I think so. Oh, well, he'll be happy because they're in the <laughs> World Series right now. I just <laughs> I had to keep you updated. <laughs> Good, right on. Um, Rapid City. Rapid City. We, uh, he's got a lease out there, and a uh, lady owns a farm. He's got a ton of alfalfa fields, and pretty much every deer within 10 miles is coming to that farm. It's crazy all the things we've learned, or I learned, I guess. He's He's had this lease for a few years. Uh, this was my first year going. It has whitetails and mule deer on it. And just seeing and patterning the mule deer and seeing what they do, where they go, they cover a lot of ground from their food source to where they like to bed. And we tried to put ourselves in, in between one or the other. And we were, we were scouting early mornings, uh, watching them come off the fields and seeing where they were going back to bed, which is usually right at daylight. And these deer would go bed down, and then we would either plan plan something out and try to work work our way up to them, and either uh, try to catch them getting up and stretching middle of the day and and being close enough for a shot, or we would wait for them to get up on their own and head off to the head back to the alfalfa fields. So a lot of rolling hills out there. We put on a lot of miles. It was a exhausting week. We hunted really hard. Had a lot of really good encounters, some awesome mule deer. Um, but actually, we were running a uh, let's see, it's a it's a covert uh, cell camera. We were running that, mm-hmm. and it was linked to his phone, so he was he was getting pictures sent right to him. And three nights in a row, this deer, this whitetail, the biggest whitetail that we've seen there, uh, kept coming up through this waterway, mm-hmm. and it was between two big stacks of round bales. And we thought, uh, if that deer does that tomorrow night, we're going to be there waiting on him. So right. we went out there, we set a ground blind up, and he ended up coming out just like he did the night before and then, and the two days before that, and he got shot. So it was a <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It was a it was a good hunt. So I, I can't imagine for I mean you're from Illinois, we're all from Illinois in here. Uh, thank God Iowa the Iowa boy is gone today. Eric's missing. <laughs> yeah, but um. How bizarre is it to have whitetail and muleys in the same area? Is it, is it pretty weird? Yeah, it is kind of weird because the and they kind of intermingle a little bit, but really for the well, when at the food source they do, but definitely not for bedding. Right, uh, the whitetails go back to the brush and and the tallest trees. They're they're looking about like they do around here. Right, but then uh, the mule deer they they. They go up in the rolling hills, and they find these little dugouts, these little cutouts in the hillsides, right. and try and get in the shade and then just bed down all day. Um, they ever crossbreed? No, I don't think so. How cool would that be, though? <laughs> I, I thought somebody said that sometimes they will, but... I think it's probably the, pretty rare. They said that at the end of it, the deer will be sterile, 
if I'm not like a mule. Yeah, something like a mule. Or, and they said like uh, you know, so there'll be some characteristics that'll you know, so you'll have a white tail with uh with with mule rack, but it, it won't be able to breed it because it's sterile or there was somebody was talking about that, and I didn't look too much into it because I was just like, man, well, whatever. You know, that's th- true. It, that doesn't affect me here, but anyway, you know, I didn't I'm not mean going to get on off on that tangent. I just was curious. It's, yeah, it's, you know, same area. They're both deer. I mean, different. Right. Right. I guess anything could happen. I no, I didn't. I, yeah. I desperate guess. times call for desperate measures, right, Steve? <laughs> yeah. Those, those white those white tails are such speciesists. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> It's 2016. Get with the program. There's nothing wrong with it. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so a big whitetail catches an arrow. Yep. He. Uh, we set this ground blind up. We actually rolled, took two of us, but we were rolling big round bales and trying to strategically <laughs> place them. Yeah. So we could, so we could uh, actually get, we could actually get this ground blind set up and uh, right in between these bales. And it ended up being, I arranged it out, it was uh, it was 70 yards between us and the other set of round bales, mm-hmm. and the waterway was right in between us. So we thought, surely he'll be within that 70-yard range, which 70 yards is a long haul mm-hmm. with yeah. an arrow, uh, sure. sitting down out of a ground blind, shooting through a small spot. It, it, it's tough, but uh, deer came out, came, he surprised us, honestly, he... Uh, we were watching clear across the field where these whitetails were bedded in the trees, and they were coming up clear top in the hill, and we could see every deer coming out and kept watching for him, and, and he never did pop out. And all of a sudden, he just was there. He was just was right in front of us at 55 yards, and he, he had worked his way up through the low spot and didn't follow those other deer, so... It uh, he kind of surprised us, but he ended up being about fifty five. He put his head down, and right at the last second, he quartered quartered to me. Uh, it was getting fairly dark, but um, right at last light, I ended up shooting and uh, watched that luminoc pound him. And anyways, how far like, a shot? Fifty five. Damn. Yeah. That's a jaunt. That's some poke. Well, that's not the south. And and fortunately, <laughs> knowing I was going to sit in the ground blind that night, I thought. Yeah, we're we're back at the cabin at noon after we watched them go to bed. And right. We were trying to form a plan for that night. Uh, thought, well, we're going to get this chair set up and we're going to start shooting the target 60, 70 yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you got to be prepared I'm, out there, especially to be able to shoot a long, a long haul yeah, like that. Yep. Which shooting a. Anyways, I'll, I'll finish what I was saying. But we, uh, I shot out of this chair and noticed I was shooting quite a bit right. Just torquing the bow it's totally different when you you're standing up in a in a tree stand versus sitting down in a ground blind mm-hmm. i guess i'd say that to anybody that's going to be hunting out of a ground blind make sure you practice sitting down mm-hmm. shooting because it yeah we did that with sam because she's not gonna i mean we'll get her in a tree but mostly right. ground blind so we didn't practice sitting down and all yep. that but yeah i missed a deer last year late season on a food plot by like 45 feet it seemed like I mean, <laughs> it went way right and uh i was sitting down it was the first time i shot sitting down all year i just thought nothing of it right uh, learned a hard lesson on mm. that one but that deer's back and he's bigger and he's got some cool flyers coming off his twos and this is the year he's gonna get it i hope so hopefully <laughs> there you but, go oh we'll see it on video i'm sure yeah, hopefully but uh no, it, it was a, it was an awesome week. We hunted, like I said, really hard. We covered some serious miles. Um, 
but but I guess the biggest thing I can say is I've I've never got to hunt with somebody that we work so good together at strategizing the plan and trying to read these deer and figure them out and put ourselves right there with them. Right. We, uh, like I said, we had some really good opportunities. Little things kept us from actually getting these big mule deer ki- What's, uh, killed. But so you got you were saying before the podcast, you're basically in, you're within the mule deer. Um, I guess what I mean by that is that you're right up on them. Right. And we uh, we'd find them bedded down, and we would crawl and through the grass, which there's not a whole lot of. You got to be real slow, and we ended up crawling right into the middle of I think 13 bucks bedded down, and that the big boys lay down in the bottom. They they're they're kicked back and they soaking up the sun and, and hiding in the shade, and they they do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they've got all these lookouts, all the small bucks. <laughs> yeah sitting up on the hill all their cronies hey you watch out (laughs) (laughs) and uh they so they sit up on the hill and they they basically just stand guard for the big boys and uh so that's the biggest that's the toughest part is trying to get past those younger bucks yeah and all the eyes looking so we got ourselves right in the middle and we were 30 yards from pushing 200 uh mule deer i mean he's huge and uh, he had, I, I'm, I'm willing to bet he had 18 inch twos and they were split 10 inches. I mean, they were huge. Anyways, uh, <laughs> this, this deer, it is just crazy. Cause they got up and they started to walk away from us, which was perfect. All the young ones, I should yeah. say getting up and walking towards the hayfield away. The wind was in our favor. And then as we sat up together, and he went to full draw, and I was over his shoulder with the with the camera. Uh, Bill, I'm talking about. There was three young bucks bedded, and I mean within within eight yards of us, right down over the hill, <laughs> and we didn't know it because this hill was so steep, and they were between us and this big boy, and they got it. They seen us, and they jumped up and took off. Of course, he jumped and took off with them, so that ruin the whole thing but we Man. laid there on that hillside for six and a half hours <laughs> waiting on this deer to get up what's that feeling like oh that was the, that was the most agonizing hunt i've ever been on to be that close breathing down this deer's neck and not getting killed right well it's rare in the midwest but on white seals in the timber you don't get to do those types of hunts it's very mm-hmm. very rare it is very rare it, it, it's a totally different style of hunting when you're out there in uh in the prairie versus versus here in timber you know it's it's i'm just kind of curious as like the guys that grew up like you know out kind of more western in the plains and things you know like they grow up like spotting and stalking so it's like kind of always exciting yep you know i wonder how those guys and i'm sure a bunch do it but you know there's guys that are out there you know you're tracking these deer and you know you're out there walking miles you know and to bring them to like what we know is you just sit them in a tree and be like, just wait. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I wonder it's, how it's that... different strategy out there. I mean, I've never gone on a western hunt, but neither have know, I. It's a formulated game plan, and go for it. it it's more of a formula in the Midwest formulated game plan set up. Get in there when the time is the best, the best possible time you can get in there, and then hopefully it happens. Right? Yeah, it's kind of the same concept, but a little more action right yeah, after the game. You're definitely still hunting. It's just a totally yeah. different way of approach. I mean, do you think those so. Western guys would absolutely hate if they came up and if like if you've never hunted like in timber like that? Do you think those guys would hate it? 
I, I don't think know. it'd be boring to them, but I don't know. It just depends. I, I that's the thing. I don't want to take away from sitting in a deer stand because it takes it takes a lot of strategy to put yourself mm-hmm. on a big white and tail. discipline to sit yep. in a stand. And yes. it does take a lot of strategy because it's you're trying to just intercept it, and there's a lot so much. It's a it's yeah. an equation. Yep, and it's got to add up. And you're hoping that they don't take a different trail. You know, you're it's. Well, that's the yeah. thing. Like, I've heard some, I won't mention who, but I've heard some other podcasts and people say, like, well, I don't really want to, you just sit in a tree stand and wait. That's what's the, what's so fun about that? It's like, well, they don't, you don't understand, obviously. You've never really involved yourself in that type of Midwestern, um, or so, I, it's, you know, Midwest, Eastern states strategy yeah. in the South, too. But yeah. it's, uh, it's different for sure. But I will say, I think I'd have a riot. Spot and stock. I know. Oh, yeah. I can imagine it's got to be frustrating when you sit on a hillside for six hours and then yeah. all of a sudden it runs off. And you don't got any like squirrel soap operas going on, like you know, to help me pass the time. <laughs> like that's what I do when I'm in the stand. Like squirrel if I see like yeah, operas. like I'll, like I'll see a squirrel, I'll be like running, I'll like be narrating his life, like what's going on with him. <laughs> you know what? It'll be like like he's running home because he just. His wife found out about his mistress, so he's going to get all his stuff out of the tree before she throws it all on the ground. And yeah. Yeah. Oh scroll. yeah, so I mean, you know, I'd probably miss that, but you know, as much you know. as I'm like, God, I hate you, I'm kind of like, oh man, that's got to really help pass the time when you're sitting in the stand. Like, man, promise you, I absolutely probably do it tomorrow. I promise it'll work. <laughs> That's a creative mind. Right? That yeah. really start, is. Man. Start giving them names and stuff. I oh, wish you dude. applied this much effort into what our podcast could be, because you know we'd be so much further elevated along. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one over here hustling, and Steve's like talking about squirrel soap operas and shit. And I'm like, come on, dude. Yeah, those- I, I can't wait till Bill Winky's brilliant mind like finally turns on this podcast. And he's like, let's see what these guys. Maybe these guys are serious. So then this other squirrel who I named Jim was running up, and his wife Charlotte was, uh, you know, getting ready to throw him out. And all of a sudden this doe walked out, and I was so infatuated with Jill and Charlotte that I completely forgot about Mindy the doe. You know, just... Ross is like, why my podcast, Steve? Look at him staring off into the distance. He's just like, dude, what did I get myself tangled up in? But, you know, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, when you're sitting around waiting, you know, you're – you're kind of looking for movement, and it's just... I follow you. I get what you're doing. Yeah, well, but it's like, you know, I, I've been, recently I've been watching a lot of Meat Eater. Ross, um, let's talk. No, because I want to <laughs> say, like, when when you're glassing, like, that, you know, giant, you know, plane of, it's just, I don't know, I, I guess there would be some similarities, you know, if you're up on a hill, you're looking to see movement, and then you start going in, you know, whereas, like, okay, you know, you start seeing something, and it was like, okay... Well, now I got to figure out if this deer's coming well, to me. Well, it's more appealing because, you know. like in the Midwest, hunting out of a tree stand is pretty much like a twenty-yard game. A lot of times, it's like you see one off in the distance. You're like, okay, that's untouchable. I have a bow. It, you know, it's you got to be right up on them in the timber, especially. It, is that something? The spot and stock thing is that something you really enjoyed, or you kind of like? Eh. Oh, I had a blast. You did. That, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Think you, you'll go back and, next year? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that, it's it's a uh, it's still hunting. It's just a totally different form of hunting, and when you gotta, when you're spotting and stalking, I guess I don't know. I we went really hard for a week. I wouldn't want to do it for three months. Right, it'd be but, tough. Yeah. What's one thing that you think you is it? This is your first type of trip like this, or yep. 
What's one thing that you took back from this trip that you're going to maybe apply to Midwestern style hunting or something that you'll just like a one main skill set that sticks out that you're going to add to your hunting bag of knowledge? Um, I'd say, yeah, that's a good question. I'd say that, um, I wouldn't be near as uh, hesitant to put a stock on a deer after all I practice stalking. I right. Guess. Yeah. I, you know, I, I get, I get kind of conservative at times when I'm hunting a specific deer, a uh, big deer. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, I don't want to get, I don't want to move in too close on him for fear that he wins me or, or even, him. even knows that I'm there. So I play a little too conservative sometimes. Sometimes it can hurt you. Yeah, absolutely. And then you miss your opportunity. And now, uh, with the spotting and stalking, I'd, I'd get more aggressive, uh, even on the ground. If we got to get on the ground and move in for, for a shot, then I'm going to do it. I guess I think I'd in my mind, it sounds good, but when you're in the situation, it could, it could change too. So, So, you know, do you leave your stuff up in the tree and just take the essentials and come back or yeah, yeah, you gotta think about all that when you're running camera, you're basically set up camp in that tree and right, right. So and you're I not guess, really set up for spotting and stalking. So if you go from a tree arm to a, now what do we do? We're just going to freehand this camera. Yeah, and that's rough <laughs> yeah. usually. So that question kind of goes into this. The main difference between like a whitetail and a mule deer and um, like body movement and uh, just reading their what they're doing as far as posture and what their what their body's telling you. What's what's the main difference you think there and how they act between whitetails and, and mule deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, mule deer. Uh, well, it just depends on where you're at hunting. And this isn't your too. experience only. This but isn't in my experience. I'd say that uh, the mule deer usually will sit there and look at you for a little bit longer than a whitetail. Whitetail blow out of there and be gone. Right. So once you have the mule deer's attention in some way, if he's looking at you or anything, he'll usually stare you down for just a minute, try and figure out what you are, and then bolt out of there. Decides so if he needs to run you, or whatever. You've got just enough time to hit your rangefinder, and you better be clipping on and and getting an arrow off. So, I mean, right. do you, do you think that's because they're so much more used to getting away from predators out in the open? That they can sit there and decide, you know, where it's like a whitetail, like you said, they're always going back into the timber where it's safe. You know, and the mule deer, you know, because they know, you know, they've got all this open terrain. And like you said, they know how to bed down. Do you think that could equate to it? That they're like, he can try and get me, but I'm about to duck down and he ain't going to find me. You know? <laughs> it's possible. I don't I don't know. It's a decent theory, yeah. I think. Anyway. Yeah, it is. I heard um, from a couple people, and Steve Ranella being one of them, t- heard on his podcast and just hear him talk about it on video, watch a meteor. That the uh, mule deer is a, spe- a subspecies of deer that he thinks that won't be around for very long. So he said now is, is the time for mule deer. But he said because of uh, uh, humans expanding, they're just not as adaptable as a whitetail. And he thinks that they're getting, I think they're getting pushed further and further. I don't know which way he's saying, but basically it's like they're not, they don't do well to change, like environmental change, like a whitetail. Like a whitetail can pretty much live anywhere. Yeah. Um, they said mule deer just they don't adapt as well, and he he thinks in the future they're slowly gonna just disappear. Yeah, that's, which is that's possible. Which you got to hunt them though too. You know you have to manage it. That's, yeah. that's gonna keep them healthy and stick, keep them sticking around. Well, and and again, I mean, you know, you've got this this large open area, you know, where you've got hundreds of thousands of acres to try and drop, you know, 
one or two where it's not like here in the Midwest where, you know, you can set up on four acres of timber in a neighborhood in a city and be able to, you know, manage a deer in there. It happens, you know, especially in like Rock Island. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's city hunts and yeah. all this. I don't, and there's I, monsters getting killed in there. Yeah, yeah, there really is. I, 200, what, what's the deer I measured? Two, was it 209? I can't remember. 212 or something like that? Measure it from in, an in-town deer. Right? Yeah, I can't remember the net and the gross. I think but... it was a double dropper. It was just nuts. Wow. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things, like, do you think you go back to the same spot next year when you go? Yep, absolutely. For sure? Yep. It's a like I said, it was a it's a lease, and uh, he's gonna we're gonna continue to hold that lease. Hopefully, That's did awesome. you get to see any proghorns out there? Yep, speed goats, speed, speed goats. Goat. I they, they, not a, a lot of people them. call them that, man. I, I love that name of speed goat. They're cool. I think a lot of people call them speed goats. I, not a lot of people around here. I mean, I'm sure that's like just at what they're people known as. People don't even know that don't hunt that there's antelope in the United States. It's like what's an antelope? We were driving past uh, a little group of them. Like every day, they're just standing in the same spot, right down the driveway, uh, headed into this property. <laughs> I mean, they're actually on the property, but they look like such like something you would see in Africa. But you know, they've been here in North America for. I I heard that they can run. The, uh, they're like the fastest land animal, and we're, we're going to move on from this here in a minute. But uh, they're the fastest land animal in North America because there was at a time. A North American Plains lion, I believe, that could run really fast, and they were basically evolved to outrun this predator. And mm. this predator ended up going extinct after... That was probably when they started issuing hunting licenses to dentists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is a long time ago. <laughs> I, I can't remember. I can't remember. Something that it died off, and it became extinct, and... They just kind of remained, and but that's why they can run so fast as they were evolved yeah. to outrun this predator. It was like a North American plains lion, some sort of crazy lion. I don't know. But anyway. Uh, definitely interesting. Watch well, this. I want to do something that we've never done on the podcast. Well, we've tried to. Ross, I want you to bring up something that you want to talk about that's on your mind. Okay. Just anything hunting related. I, I want you to bring it up. And uh, we'll go off it so we're the guests. Okay. That works. Um, Good job. Do you Steve. change? Do you change your stand locations between October and November, or December or January? How do you hunt different? It's a good topic to for the time being, yep. and I think our listeners could benefit from your knowledge, Ross. <laughs> we're right. <laughs> we're right in the middle of the shift between October and November. Mm-hmm. We're just getting ready to touch November, so. Uh, I guess for me, I'd say that October hunts, we're, we're on the edges of the timber. We're on uh, food plots, more of the open areas. Just kind of getting a sense on if we get eyes on a big buck moving from one corner right. to another or coming out and hitting the food plots. Um, cameras have a lot to do with it, too, what you're seeing on your cameras. Um I will say that the cell camera is very beneficial. Because you don't have to enter your actual property. Right, that, and um, I know a lot of the guys can say this for themselves. I know I am I do it, but when you pull a card out of a trail camera and you're going through it on your laptop, you're just clicking as fast as you can go until a big buck pops up mm-hmm. versus have it come to your phone. That minute, you know 
what time of day it is, what the weather's like, where's the temperature at, where's the wind direction, and mm -hmm. what's he on as far as food or what he's doing. Is he chasing a doe? Is he, you know, any of that. So I guess you can you can learn, unless you're keeping a daily journal and you're comparing that picture to that time and, and you know what the weather was doing, it kind of gives you an idea on on where those deer are hitting food-wise mm -hmm. versus uh, – or, I mean, as far as the food goes with the temperature. So they may be hitting the grains when it's super cold, or they may be hitting the greens. It could be, you know, a lot of that stuff you can just kind of figure on, but it's it's a lot better to have it come to your phone and you know right then and there. That's a good point, but, too, because you take more of a mental note because versus, like, just click, 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 click. Oh, there's a buck here. Oh, it's daylight. But did you look at what time of, or, you know, Time is the number one thing you look at. Right. But, uh, like, temperature. Like, right now, it's if it's a cool night, all of a sudden. Do you have a trail cam hooked to your phone? I don't right currently, but. But, you know, we could be sitting here doing this podcast. You get a, you know, a stud just pop up yep. on your phone, and you're like, yep. okay, well, I know this you're still moving at night, not so much daylight activity mm -hmm. past this particular camera, and then you can figure out. That makes sense. Completely. Yeah, and if it's a constant thing every night, like, you know, you know, and then it, one night goes by, and you're like, Man, that buck didn't pass through tonight, you know. I think that you know, with the with the cameras being set up, I think it's really going to help uh, cuz eventually I believe that all cameras will be internet capable. Like how they are now like a Moultrie's doing it. Um they're, they're rather expensive now, but just look at how when Blu-ray that technology came out, it was super expensive. Now you can't even find well, the same you know. thing with trail cameras in trail cameras yeah. in general. When they first came out, they're expensive. Now you can get trail cameras for thirty so, bucks on sale. Yeah, so now it's really going to help guys. Where all of a sudden, you know, you don't have to go in the woods to check your cameras, and it's always going to be there. So it's really going to help you pinpoint what you're looking for to minimize pressure on it and take it. And you know, as well as hunters across America have done with the population, I think this helps a lot. Uh, sure, when, sure. when when technology starts rolling in and you know we always talk about this you know where, where do you draw the line of technology i think this is fine as long as it's used correctly and that'll really help you so you know say you're you're getting this particular deer and you know where he's moving then you can take one day instead of a couple days to keep checking cameras you know you can take one day to gather all that to go move that stand where you need it and then you get to do, you know, then you get on them for sure. I yeah. really, I really so think that this is going to help using the information from these these cameras that benefit from texting or emailing these pictures to your phone. From that transition from October to November, what would be your next step? Like if you just blanketed it in general, you're hunting like the edges. You're not entering the timber at this point yet, typically on your on your property or no. I'd uh, I'd say that. In the early season, midsummer, you're, and even even late season, after deer season's over, uh, I like to do a lot of scouting too, and just go see where all those beat up trails are at and where they're funneling down. Knowing your property, knowing how it lays, the topography, all that. Mm -hmm. If you can figure out where the natural funnel points are, and I'm sure everybody hears hears that a lot, but yeah. if you can figure out where the funnel points are, that's what I do. I try to find the funnel points, and then or the natural. Uh, bedding areas that they like to come to and if you want to get aggressive in november and hunt like i like we did last year middle of the day 
try and catch right. those bucks coming back. Which we talked about on the last episode mm-hmm. you were on. Yep. yep. Um, so then I, that's when November hits, that's when I mean, I, when it's October, I won't touch my best stands. And it's funny because I talked to you on the phone the other day when we were talking about doing this episode, you're like, man, I haven't even been out yet. Yep. And it's not a bad idea to wait. And I think next year I'm going to wait a few weeks before I go hunt. Well, and I think I told you I, I've in years past, I've gotten pretty aggressive early and just tried to, which you can. And that's what I was telling you. Uh, from what I've seen, I have seen some giants on their feet and a lot of big deer get killed in those first five days, six days of October. And you can get in there if you've got the right food source it's the right timing the right weather everything's got to come into low play. pressure yeah, and all yes that. absolutely mm-hmm. everything comes into play but when it all works out you can easily get in there and and have a chance at killing a big buck uh i didn't have one lined up that on camera or food source was wrong or just mm-hmm. it was, we just weren't getting the action mm-hmm. so i didn't pressure early and i'm just kind of holding back and waiting and we're going to get aggressive here in the next week or so yeah and get down in those pinch points get down and, and then as november 1st gets into november 7th and then right in after that that's when we're going to be hunting all day uh i shouldn't say all day that's usually the moon phase changes and it's it's better we like to get in head out to the stand about nine o'clock so so when you've been hunting really hard and you're wore out and tired, uh, yeah. go ahead and sleep in, get your rest, and then okay. go out at 9 o'clock in the morning and go sit that stand in that bedding area or close to, because you know he's coming back. And that's that's usually That's how, a great tip. I mean, that that's what I like to do, and it seems to work. I've seen a lot of big bucks after November 7th on their feet at 10 to 2. That's when you're seeing them, and that's... I, I'll drive that in the ground, I guess. I'm pretty pretty adamant about being in a tree through mm-hmm. those hours of the day to make sure in my best spots. And That's a I've, great I, tip. I've yeah. killed, I've killed uh, quite a few of them in the middle of the day because of that. That gives me so much hope because there's just certain things. You, I don't know. It's one of those things. I don't have vacation this year, so I'm like, man, I'm, 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 I'm tight on hunting time, and i got to make it happen. So I have mm-hmm. like two days a week to hunt, yep. um, if that depends on the day so that makes me feel better you work all week and a lot of guys a lot of our listeners guys and girls you know if you work all week you're tired you want to sleep in till mm-hmm. eight get up at eight get to the stand by nine if you do it in an hour and get in the tree like you know what you're saying is awesome for people yeah. like that and you always i don't know why everyone's under the impression that they need to go get in there before uh daylight and then sit there and everyone gets down by yep. 10 o'clock or earlier and it's well, yeah, right when they're moving. You know, that's not really always the right approach. Well, I get real uh, hesitant about I, I morning hunts. I love morning hunts if you have the right entry and exit plan that you can get in there and not blow deer off the field, or you mm-hmm. have deer blowing at you at five in the morning. That's there's no worse feeling than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when it gets to the right time. You know, there's deer running everywhere. It's full rut, but I guess go in there a little bit later where you can kind of glass your way in and and see what's going on. If there's deer in the field, you're going to hold up for a little bit. You know, right. I, I like that. I like that about, or I guess, yeah, I mean, I, that's one thing I really like about it. But You know, because that's, that's a, good, a good point. But. It's a lot better strategy of being able to see what you're up against rather than, you know, trying to go in there with flashlights 
and you're not going to see every single stick out there at, you know, if you're trying to get in at 5, 5.30 in the morning, you know, you're going to crunch sticks there. Well, if it's 9 o'clock, you know, towards them uh, that in November, you know, you're going to be able to see, okay, I can walk past here. You know, there's not a sticker bush that's going to catch me up or catch up on my bow. And I guess what I'm really getting around is, yes, I'm super excited to sleep in, man. <laughs> it, well, because but thing it is, makes sense. I've always been that hunter, though, that I have it, like, pounded into my brain. Got to get in there before daylight. Yep. And I've killed some deer early. Well, but do you really have early. two 200 inch deer? You see, I knew you were going to bring that up. I thought Ross was going to swing over and punch it. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but, uh, but it's one of those things like, yeah, I've killed deer early, like, you know, 30 minutes after full daylight, mm-hmm. whatever. But, you know, it's, I don't know how many deer. I probably spooked a lot more deer going in in the dark than I, you know, I have definitely for sure spooked more deer going in the dark than I have shot big bucks. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and you don't know what you spooked either. And that, yeah, that yeah. get in at eight thirty, nine o'clock, uh, and and that basically you're looking at ten to two, like I said. But it could be, it could be an hour before, hour after. That's the thing. Once you're in, mm-hmm. and you're in that hot spot, you don't get out until it's dark. So that's what we do is sit in there from basically nine o'clock the whole rest of the day. You got any that's- tips for our listeners for like an all day sit, like what to bring, how to mentally prepare yourself? Oh, Just you gotta have you gotta have a light snack or something. I mean, I you gotta have food and snacks, otherwise, or snacks and drinks. But if you if you're out there and you're sitting, it is agonizing to sit there for that long. So uh, basically, we just take breaks, stand up, and stretch. Play for a, a game bit. on your phone for a little bit or something. Yeah, yeah. I do you do that or? I don't, I honestly don't. I check my phone every once in a while, but I, it's only happened a couple of times, but I've had deer move in on you that you didn't see coming that, Mm -hmm. that were small or a doe or something. Right. And it's not that big a deal, but that happened to me a couple of times. It was like, dang, she just right there or that little buck just slithered in on us. Uh, I'm not going to let that happen. Should have been watching the, uh, should have been watching the squirrel soap opera. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So. I guess I, yeah, it's it's stressful sitting there for that long. But I uh, you got to keep in the back of your mind, you are in the hottest time of the year. It could happen any minute, so you got to be on your toes. Yep. That's that's the deal. Because as soon as you go lax, it happens. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You got to be on death comp nine alert the entire time. Yep. You so know, let's. Let, I want to transition to. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, like deer pressure hunting near shitty neighbors, um, like dogs barking. Steve was saying earlier, the dude's always running his leaf blower nonstop. Yeah, kid two houses down has got his go-kart track around his house. And, you know, obviously they get used to that, but, man, it makes it really hard to try and listen and hear leaves crunching. Yeah, it's frustrating. What's your – I hunt somewhat near a highway, and you hear – Semis, or then when you hear, oh, I think I hear something coming. <laughs> Semi, the engine by. breaking. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, ah. what's your experience or any tips you have for our listeners for situations like that? I've watched uh, big bucks. I don't know. I guess on uh, the the Steve, area. Steve's that, going pee again, guys. Just so everyone knows. <laughs> but I'm not sure about the. Uh, development areas where there's houses and there's and right. there's people making noise. I'm not sure about that because I, for, I I guess I just haven't had to deal with that um, right. yet. But yeah. uh, we've had dogs barking. Uh, we've had things like that. You can hear trucks on the road, gravel road. 
Um, I guess I've watched a big buck, an old buck, uh, within 30 yards of the tree. Um, and, and watched his demeanor and his body language and everything as I heard a truck coming down the road. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could hear this truck coming. I just watched him. You could see his ears turning. I mean, he tuned in to what was going on. Right. And this deer knows that this guy, this neighbor who lives at this house, drives down the driveway every day at 4 o'clock and pulls in and shuts the truck off. Dog barks five times, and then right. that's it. And this deer's ears turned towards the noise. He listened. He picked his head up. He didn't look, but he was. He picked his head up like he was thinking about it. Right. And everything went as normal, and he put his head right back down. And he never, I guess, by looking at him, unless you're really reading him, you couldn't tell that he was paying attention to, to what he was paying attention to. Right. But he was, he was definitely listening to that, and he put his head right back down and kept doing his thing. I mean, that, that right there tells me that he knew – what's normal and what's not right and the wind was blowing right at us i mean it sound you could hear that guy breathing from all the way across the field i mean it was one of those nights that just super quiet so right he had that deer knew what was going on now if somebody come in a different vehicle or you know he can he, he's paying attention to that too so that they know what's normal right and i don't know if a go-kart is normal to them maybe they get used to it uh, trains going by, Jake breaks on semis. That's that's all normal to them. They've heard that before. Right? Yeah, and so. you know what's uh, kind of interesting too the the property that I hunt. You know that go kart. The kids have been running it for a while. So obviously, you know, within the past year, they've had to gotten used to it. But there's a gun range. Yeah, and you know, you hear trains, and you know, not too far away from a from a big old quarry, so you can hear some of that stuff running too. But you know, that gun range, it's really weird. They hear these shots all the time, and they still get really, really spooky after gun season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of interesting that... Well, I don't... The gunshot is probably not what's spooking them during gun season. It's the it, pressure yeah. and being shot at. You know yeah, what sure. I mean? and, and I'm not sure about the surrounding property. You know what I mean? Like, right. I yeah. I know a, there's a there are gun hunters on, on the property that I hunt, and... I don't go out during gun season. That's my kind of my time to, you know, take a break, get caught up with, um, you know, everything that I've kind of put behind, you know, maybe take a couple of days off to rest and relax. Like That's you're just, busy. I, you know what, as of recently, these past couple of years, I've been real busy. But I just, I always thought that was, you know, maybe it is is a little bit of the pressure. I mean, it, I, I think it's nice if you've got really... You know what I can, not, I, can I give you what my opinion is real quick? I mean, I'm not trying to cut you short, but I'm trying to, like, get to, to our point here. Like, yeah. I think uh, whitetails, like we were saying earlier, are super adaptable. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, with that kid that you're saying that rides that go-kart, if he does that twice a week, I feel like that's probably enough for a whitetail in that area, in that core area that they call mm-hmm. their home. They're probably going to be like, okay, I've heard that before. Nothing's ever, nothing negative has ever yeah. come of it besides just being loud and different. I feel like over time they'll adapt to it. You know what I mean? Does yeah, and, kind of? and you know, the the thing that I would, you know, like uh, if you've got property like that, what I would suggest and what, what I've done and, you know, just through getting to know people is, you know, kind of ask if you've got bad property, you know, what's going on. Obviously, you don't want to um, have really bad, you know, like neighbors where they'll go out there and like honk horns and stuff. But, um, you know, get to know, kind of know what they do. 
and yeah, just uh, talk to the neighbors, you know, without giving too much away. Obviously, just uh, hey, you know, you're yeah, you're running a go kart, or you know, hey, what's going on over here? How many gun hunters you got? You know, just kind of knowing well, without one, one thing that I think that's super interesting that Ross was talking about was watching the deer's body language when a truck goes by because there's something almost like mystical if you kind of can follow my weird language here about like watching a big buck stand there and seeing in real life how he reacts to certain noises or like a certain situation because i'm so intrigued with like the daily lives of big mature bucks that and and we all are Mm -hmm. like what does this deer do all day where is he at where does he spend most of his time like when he's bedded down what I want to know, like, what ridge he's bedded in. So it's, I don't know. You just feel like you see him on, if you don't see the deer in the wild, you see him on your trail cam, if you're lucky, and maybe you see him a couple of times a year in the stand. Other than that, you just think about him all the time. And how many times do you walk to your tree as quiet as possible? You don't even make a noise. Wind's in your favor, and you sit there, and you sit there, and you never see him. And then yep. you come back the next day and do the same thing. It's 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 crazy to think that What do they that do? deer... Maybe he was there and he was gone like a ghost, and you had didn't have a clue. You actually bumped. He seen you way before you seen him. Yep. Which it slipped out. It's yeah. It's it's, it's that one thing that just about him that that's why I love whitetail so much because it's like okay yeah all the science and everything you we can know about the biology the makeup of whitetails but as far as their like psychology goes and just how mysterious they are and just under the radar and like. The majority of people that don't hunt rarely see big bucks. They think what they know is a big buck is a young, immature buck that's rutting around doing stupid things. But to see a real four-and-a-half, five-and-a-half, six-and-a-half-year-old mature buck in the wild doing his thing undisturbed, it's just amazing. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a unicorn. Yeah. It's the closest thing to a unicorn. <laughs> I've, had, I've had people ask me, what, what's the... Uh, what's the big thing about, what, is it just a masculinity thing to go out and uh, hunt a deer and kill a deer? Is that like the man thing to do? What's, I what's, hate that. What, what is so, what's the big deal about going and killing a big buck? Well, I, the best response I can come back with that is uh, basically you're out there to outsmart the smartest animal in the woods. <laughs> yeah. And, you're, and yeah. you're playing your game against his game. And hopefully you win. <laughs> I mean, right. that's that's really what you know what it is for me. I mean, hunting and plus and, you get to eat them. Yeah, <laughs> well, the, <laughs> that's well, the ultimate. Well, win. the thing is, I love that you said it that way because I hate hearing I could have shot one in my backyard. Yep. Well, it's like you know, listen, you don't get it. Okay, it's different. You know, it just is, and you can't explain to them how it's different. It's just different. Like it's, I don't know. It's incredible just going after a big buck and. I don't know. They're. I'm just so intrigued by them, about what they do during their day, and I just wish I could. I feel like a radio collar is not even that intriguing to me. They're always Texas studies, but like, yeah, like no. a Midwestern Illinois six and a half year old just stud monster whitetail. Like, I want to know what he does all day. Yep, where he goes, what what he comes in contact with is. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Like, does he? How many roads is he crossing? Right. How far so, is he going? And even it, if you collared that, collared that deer, and you watched his route, what made him turn? What yeah. made him? What made him yeah. go over there that and, day? You know, like there's the specifics, like the yeah. fine details. There's been like you know, and it and it's 
the amount of things that, you know, because we talk about how intelligent they are, but the amount of trails that they walk down each and every day and why they pick that trail so they know they know their way around all these trails, right? But then you see, you know, if I, I've looked at some of those radio collar deer, but like they, the the area that they go and just knowing that, you know, sometimes they'll come back to that area. I'm curious, you know, do they accidentally end up somewhere like, they're just out wandering, like... Like, are they exploring, is yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, and they're like, oh, I know this place. I used to hit up Brenda right over here, you know, during <laughs> November 7th when that Facebook meme came out. Well, what I would think but, is, a, like, a mature buck knows, you know, rut comes, they're going to venture off from their core area a little yeah. bit. And I'm sure, as long as there's cover, and they know what's covered to them, they know that, yep. you know, he's going to... I'm going to go over here and look for some does. So that buck ventures off from his core area... To travel over, and you know, for a deer to travel a mile, two miles, five miles, is nothing. Mm-hmm. They could do that in a day and be back in their core area and bedded down by whenever they're going to bed down. I've sat through several uh, seminars by Bill Winky mm-hmm. and listened to his thoughts on this, and I I really like what he has to say. He says, yeah, of course, every deer has its own personality, right? And they're you know, you have your home bodies that just stay, and then you've got the roamers, and you've got uh, really aggressive ones, but his his thinking is a big buck. Even during the rut, somebody asked a question in the middle of that seminar. Said, "Are you going to see a big buck go way outside of his normal area?" And that's how he ends up getting shot by the neighbors or something. Um, and he responded with, "He said no. He said that deer, uh, whitetail's rule number one is safety, mm-hmm. and he's not going to go anywhere that he hasn't been before." especially a mature buck. That's why you see the two-and-a-half-year-olds running around chasing like crazy, and you're like, ruts on, it's full swing. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, the big boys, you're not seeing them because they know better. And right. they're sitting back just waiting. And uh, talking with other people about it. Well, I'll finish what Bill's saying. But basically, he's saying that they're not going to venture off too far. They may touch that corner of the property, two or three times in their entire life never had a picture of them over there but they've been there and then all of a sudden you see them in that spot right they they've known about it they've known it's okay to go over there um that makes sense talk, it makes talk sense. to another guy that that breeds deer and raises deer a deer farm and he said that uh, he's turned his, his big boys out with 20 does in a year's time breeds 20 does and next year goes way up, goes from 150 to 165, 170, turns 30 does or 35 does loose the next year, goes back to 157. He should his and his as this deer's uh, dad, if you could say, mm-hmm. uh, 180, 190 inch deer. He should have exploded, but the stress of having all those does wore him out, huh. and he stayed on those does. So. That's Just like real life, yeah. <laughs> I could do so much more if I didn't have all these uh, I, <laughs> ladies hounding me all the time. I had a feeling you'd take that and run. I, I well, hey, you know, but it but Don't it makes the sense. Bait. Don't give him the bait. He'll take you know, because oh. man, you got to work hard to please all those ladies, and man, it just wears on you. But but and, seriously, I uh, so then he the next year he turned around and and pulled him back. But then that makes you sit there and think about man, how, what's my doe herd like? Like right. are these big boys fighting each other tooth and nail yeah uh, to get these does if i only have 10 does and i got six bucks that's a 
that's a pretty rough ratio <laughs> yeah. for those bucks. They're going to sure. be tore, tearing each other up. Okay, so but. when we had uh, Dudley on uh, a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. I always try and shoot a doe early season. He he bought, brought up the point without going over it in detail. He doesn't like to shoot does early because that's the ticket to catch a mature buck checking a doe. If like, you have a doe coming out consistently on a plot, like at yep. 5.30, whatever, it comes out all the time. So that's your opportunity to, if you stay on that doe, when you're, when, you know, everything's right, yep. to catch a buck coming out checking. He's like, that's where a, guy, a lot of guys make the mistake of shooting that doe early to try and get a doe out of the way, whatever. Right. Yep. Um, I see his point. I always try and shoot a doe a little early. And it, it's a topic that always gets talked, like, you know, argued or debated. You know, how many does do you shoot? Well, it's all depending on your property and your deer herd. But yep. shoot a doe early, shoot a doe late, don't shoot does at all. Uh, that's really tough for me because I don't ever. It's a hard general answer. It is. And it is. And I think what he said is really good. That's really good thinking. I have a hard time, uh, even setting out to kill a doe early at all because there's always that chance you're wondering maybe. Right. Maybe this big boy is going to step out as soon as I shoot this doe and then I just screwed Mm -hmm. myself for the night. But I, uh, for me, (laughs) it sounds terrible, but. The does that I kill are the ones that are blowing. No, no that makes <laughs> yeah. sense, man. I mean, I, I could not, I could go out and say, I am not killing does. That's it. And the one that sits there and blows for three minutes is getting it. it it's just, I <laughs> no, I follow you there because she's educated, man. Yep. That's a smart doe that's, that's teaching her yearlings like, hey, yo, exactly. see this fool over here? Yep. Yeah. And they and they all run away with their tails up, and then she leads them all right back, stomping and blowing. That's yep. that's the one that take, gets taken out. I love the, <laughs> I love the saying though: if you can kill a mature white-tailed doe, you can kill any animal in the world. With your yeah, bow. yeah, that's right. Boy, they are because yeah, she she's getting far enough away and showing. Hey, look, this is what you look out for. And man, you know, you just, she's an educator, man. She's but, a teacher of the timber. But it's not exactly a bad thing. If you think about it, because yeah, she's teaching these. She's teaching what yearlings, what could be the biggest deer of your life, how to survive. So then, when she, when they go to the neighbor's property, they don't mess up. And then now you learn from that. So all of a sudden, that doe blowing at you is the greatest gift that you could ever get. <laughs> I see your thing now. Now all of a sudden, that deer gets super smart, but you catch him once. That's and that's deep, all you need. That's some deep. Deep they, stuff right that there. is outside of the so, box for sure. It's not a bad. <laughs> so you know what? Like, Next I follow time, you. I like follow and, you. you know what I did last year, <laughs> and I did this to this button buck. I he was hanging around my. He got around my stand a little too much, and I, I decided I was going to shoot him. But I was like, you know what? Maybe if I kind of let him know that I'm that I'm there and that I might be a threat, he might grow up <laughs> to be a be a booner. And that's, you know, if, if you... It's a good thought. <laughs> I don't know, man. So, you know, if you get blown at by a deer, it's not the end of the world, so... This is so interesting, man. Like, I'm like, we got our conversation's like shaped as a triangle, so I'm over here on the outside, Steve's across from Ross on the table, and I'm looking over here at Ross, analyze Steve, and this is just, it, it's very interesting. Keep keep going, keep going. I'm Ross having, is I'm laughing a, at me. I'm having a good time. By the way, Steve's, the pyramid is the strongest geometrical shape in the universe. <laughs> let's, let's, talk, but, let's talk deer hunting. But does that, does that not make sense to anyone else other than me? I mean, you know. And the beautiful thing up, about our podcast is when one of our frequent guests catches on to the dynamic, and he's like, yo, let's get back to it. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. 
So let me let me ask you: Did you uh, did you talk to this deer? How did you? Yeah, I explained to him about what was happening on the previous season then, of Squirrel our guest, Soap Opera, and then our guest goes in and feeds back <laughs> into it. Exactly. Uh, no, I. So, um, I don't know. I would say, yeah, the education for these deer. I either way, I still go back to a whitetail is uh, their number one is safety mm-hmm. for sure. An uneducated young deer is easier to hunt than a five year old deer, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you shoot that button buck, you never get to see that hundred and sixty incher. See, and I, so. I, I'm pretty sure it was you that said, you know, you hate shoot, you wouldn't shoot a doe late season because you're like, man, I don't know what she's carrying. Here. Yeah, she could have been carrying the. That's next my biggest problem. So I don't, record. I don't want to shoot them early to screw up a hunt, and then you don't want to shoot them late because they've probably been bred by a big one, and you don't right. want to shoot them in the middle because they're the ones that are going to bring the big ones yeah. there. So man, so, it's that. How often do you? I mean, what's prime time? I mean, besides blowing, if you had to be like, okay, pick a week. Prime roughly, time doe season. Yeah, I'm going to take a doe. When right in the middle of October. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I was saying at the beginning of the podcast that there are those first five days, first six days of October that can be phenomenal uh, if you're on a deer or you know he's coming to that food source or any of that. You it's can because he's still he's still, yeah, he's still on a summer pattern mm. to a point. Um, you can get on him. I that uh, unicorn buck I shot a few years ago. Uh, he had two other ones with him, and they all three were coming to the field every night for the first for the first five days of October. Mm-hmm. And it was a cut corn field and a standing bean field just button up to each other. And every night those those guys come out together, and they were together, which is crazy. It is nuts. I mean, velvet off and everything. Yeah, I mean they 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 should be basically marking their territory and everybody get in your corner and and right. get ready for season or get ready for uh, war rut, much. basically yeah. <laughs> yeah and anyway so that i learned a lot watching that first few days in october to not get too aggressive too fast mm-hmm. um try to hunt those food sources and, and pattern the big boys because you have a really legit chance but i'd say the the week that I got to put a doe down would be middle of October. Uh, we're just getting past that now, so yeah, and yeah. I haven't shot one, so so it's <laughs> done though. I may just not get to kill one. Yeah, game over, game over. You know, tonight I was sitting there. I'm like, you know, I'm, I like the term that Steve Rinelli uses, a meat crisis. Yeah, and, and your freezer's <laughs> getting low. We're almost in a meat crisis. We need to kill something. And I don't buy beef at the store, at the grocery store. Yep. And I'm not in a meat crisis yet, but if I don't put something on the ground and I'm limited on, on hunting time this year with no right. vacation, whatever. I think that, you know, it's, I'm going to have to just take a doe this season when I can. So I don't yep. find myself in a meat crisis and that's yep. me looking out for, uh, Sam and I, and, uh, the rest of the family, yep. you know, so that's what it is. And if I kill a buck, I kill a buck. I'm going to hustle hard at it like always. And plus see, me and Kurt got a bet going on, uh, whoever puts down deer first, if, uh, if I put one down, first you uh, buy beer for the podcast for no him. that's if you if you put one down i gotta buy beer for the podcast for like three weeks if i put one down before he does he has to buy me a steak dinner with the most expensive glass of whiskey they got really yeah so it's not really a fair bet but i'll take it no <laughs> but hey you know, I think, I don't, so this this bet was thought of by steve i take it well we did yeah. it on a podcast like two three episodes ago we thought well of it. it yeah. was like opening week 
of the, uh, season we did it. The first one I wanted, I wanted to take his uh, fiance on a date, but uh, he wouldn't allow that because he doesn't want to lose his fiance to me. So right. that didn't happen. So a steak dinner with a fine glass of whiskey works. Analyze that, Ross. <laughs> I can't. I'm a, I can't keep up. I can't. Yeah. He's like, this is my last podcast this, with the working is, class bow hunter. It. The working class bow hunter podcast has done me, and I'm done. Never doing any more of them. <laughs> He's not even going to hunt again. Never. <laughs> There's probably another hunting podcast I'd have you on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure of it. He is telling me, he's sending your resume. Hey, I've been on this podcast a couple times. Oh, you're almost ready for ours. <laughs> there you go. Tell how they do it in this uh, in this industry yeah. we're in. So yeah. We're the warm-up. Yeah. <laughs> for the big guys. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Big Buck Registry. We heard that, by the way. <laughs> Jay big Scott. Shout out. I, dude, big I shout out to guy. those guys. That I was supposed awesome. to be on their podcast last uh, January and I. I had a call in. I was a call, no call, no show. Me and Eric. Yo, yeah, you're fired. You're never happy. <laughs> That's it, never happy. Jay's a good dude. He is a good guy. Um, let's get back to you, Ross. Uh, any final thoughts that you've got? You know, anything that you want to get out there that you need to get out there? Any advice you want to give? Or just uh, contact information? What do you want to do? Um, shoot your bow. <laughs> in every, solid advice in every way sitting down squatting on your knees every just everything get creative when you're out there because when you're in a hunting situation it can change in a heartbeat i mean yeah you know the for sure everything outside of unclipping your safety harness to step out on a branch just don't practice that too often <laughs> yeah no i wouldn't do that I, i've yeah. done that a couple times have you yes two times i've done it i've unclipped and stepped out on a branch to get Ooh. a shot off what yeah that's bizarre yeah that's... that deer almost died oh no I, when i stepped <laughs> that out... ross almost died too <laughs> yeah uh, i uh when i stepped out there i didn't think about it i was at full draw and i got a two-cam bow shooting an elite and i had that cam basically that my top limb was against a limb Oh, oh, and as soon as I sent that arrow off, that cam rolled over and smacked that branch and kicked the bow straight back, which <laughs> sent the arrow over the back of the deer at 45. That was a sick feeling. <laughs> Mister by 45 feet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, good <laughs> Lord. Yeah. But no, I'd say just get out there. You got to shoot your bow and it's, you know, it, it's tough to do for some guys. They don't want to pull their bows out until it gets close to season. Everybody starts to get the itch, but practice as much as you can and don't side in beginning of october and think you're good all the way through you need to shoot right. whether you're shooting in a truck headlights at a target at 20 yards so you can just check your bow before you go out things things happen you bump your bow you bump your sight things get thrown off and, oh, and, and even halfway through the season last year i was running a gopro on one side of my bow and a side rod on the mm -hmm. other and I took that GoPro off for this one hunt and started shooting way right. Yeah, because so. sometimes you're walking in the stand, man. You still got your quiver on yep. your uh, on your bow, and you know, yep. I I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea to sight in with you know how you're going to hunt. If you don't hunt with the quiver on, sight in with that, and then take a couple shots, uh, more than a couple, and see where you're at with that quiver on, just so you know. Yep. We'll bring this up like. Ross's tip is, a, and we always say, go shoot your bow. And then it's not just a saying thing in the podcast, we really mean it. Yep. And what, part of the reason behind our podcast, and there's a, a many reasons, is part of it is to make, bring that hunting camp feel like that you're with your buddies and it will motivate you to be like, I'm going to basically get you to think about shooting your bow during the off season. We do this podcast once a week, all year round. 
to get you guys motivated and want to do it. And it helps with us, too. We get together once a week. It, we're constantly thinking about shooting our bows, constantly thinking about hunting. All and the it, time, yeah. And it, and it keeps it fun. And that's why we do our, our shoots every year um, to get people together and shoot our bows and just have a good time. We're going to do that. Our next shoot's going to be in the spring, May, April or May. Um, we're, we'll let you guys know the date. Um, but that's, you know, that's nowhere close to fall bow season. And that's a perfect time to start shooting. That'll get, that fires us up to do our 3d shoots all summer long. And you keep that consistency and you get better as the year goes. And then hunting season comes and you're just an absolute stud by that time. And you're shooting, you know, 30 yards, nothing, 40 yards. I can do it. You're confident in your shot. You can't ask for anything more. And, and when you are constantly shooting like that you know your bow you know your equipment you know everything know something's uh, wrong very familiar with it and it actually becomes instinctive mm-hmm. uh and then everybody a lot of guys know that when you're getting that situation when that big buck comes flying through you don't even remember going through the motions yep i mean it's just like bang it just happened <laughs> yep and it, your instincts kick in and you get that deer killed you didn't jump the trigger. You didn't get antsy, and you know something crazy happened. You just went yeah. through the motions. It speeds up that learning curve of killing big deer, and it it'll help you become more successful. It really will. Yeah. But just get yourself motivated and stay after it. That's really yeah. That's right. Do. And if you're gonna shoot, and you're gonna hunt with a glove on. Shoot your bow with a glove on. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't yeah. have. I never have a glove. I never wear gloves. And, and I never wear gloves either. It just. It's something I thought about doing, but it's, you know, you get so used to shooting without a glove, and then it gets cold. You know, my hands are always just in my pockets. That's how mine are. I've got pasty white hands, and I'm like, I don't want this deer to look just up and see, like... put makeup on your hands. Yeah, I don't, I don't want this deer to look up and see, like, a, a like a Steve Miller abracadabra music video, you know, with the gloves <laughs> behind there. I don't want to see just floating hands. Uh, yeah, it's just... Steve, I don't know. That's what I do. Steve, you're a unique character, and I'm glad you're on the podcast. And, I am, uh, too. Our listeners appreciate you. I'm the, most of them do. Our guests are a little weirded out by you at times. But, uh, well, because yeah, they're professionals. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Ross, will you come on this podcast again? Yeah, I'll come back. We'll yeah, try to time it right. Maybe one more, t- one more time. <laughs> He's like, I get, I'll give it one more shot. You just got to get rid of Steve. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Good luck to you. Deer are dropping. Books are moving. Get after it. And as oh, always, where can, we, where can people find you? On Instagram, RossBigger219. Got mm-hmm. it linked in the description. Yep. And uh, 164 Outdoors. Got it in there? Okay. All right. Respect the game TV. Respect the game TV. Guys, shoot a buck. Go shoot your bow. We love you. Bye. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.